welcome to this week's sermon from C3 Church Narara. We hope you enjoy this message from Pastor Chris Brown. For more information or to contact us, visit c3church.narara.net. Thank you. Thank you, Janice and the boys. Now, let's just have a look here, please. I just want to compliment Janice Stewart, mother, grandmother extraordinaire, cafe owner and manager, Three Trees Cafe, Wyoming. Fantastic coffee. A uh, little plug there. You're welcome. And, uh, and, and look at these hairy galoots around her, and she's just mixing it with them. Give her a clap, please. And the other, and the band too. And all these young rough, young, rough things. Did you like that, Michael? I threw you in there mixing you up with John, being a rough, young. Some part fell up, something dropped. Right. Praise him. Now, um, next Sunday, we're actually starting a new series uh, on the book of Genesis. So we love to preach uh, a book of the Bible, uh, usually once a year. And so we'll, uh, we'll, Ruth will launch that and, uh, and preach right through Book of Genesis is four major events, four major characters. We've got eight weeks, work our way through there, it'd be awesome. Um, and of course, today is the last message on vision builders. We've been talking about being people with a vision for God's house, for God's work. And um, Ruth, actually a few weeks ago, looked at Jacob way back in the Old Testament when he encountered God at a place called Bethel, which is Hebrew for the house of God. And then I looked at Haggai, the prophet, who when God's people came back to the promised land, he prophesied to them about prioritising God's house. And then last week, Byron um, talked about David, King David, and the preparations that he made for the temple that his son, King Solomon, ended up building. And, and he talked about the characteristics of the heart of being a vision builder. So now I want to move into the New Testament. If you've got a Bible, I want you to look at Acts chapter 2. We're going to look at the early church. And, um, and of course, in Acts chapter 1, you may know that it records how Jesus was leaving, having been raised from the dead. And before he left, he promised that he would send the Holy Spirit so that he could then birth and build his church, not by ourselves, but with the Holy Spirit's empowerment and guidance. And he told his followers, you should wait, wait in Jerusalem Till the Holy Spirit comes. So they did, and he did send the Holy Spirit. And of course, that's the day of Pentecost. We read about that in early Acts 2. And uh, the church is birthed. The believers are baptized in the Holy Spirit. They speak in tongues. They're endued with spiritual power and spiritual gifts. Peter stands up, preaches. 3,000 people are born again and baptized on the day. Think of the logistics what a day. I bet they all slept well that night. It was a, a big day. And then later in that chapter, we read Acts chapter 2, verses 42. We'll read five verses. And it says, look, all the believers devoted themselves. Let's just stop there. What did they do? Devoted themselves. I love that. In fact, we, many years ago, before we go any further, I should remind you and just reflect on the fact that 
Paul Scanlon, great preacher from the UK, once preached a message just on that phrase, just on that verse. And it was so good, we had a tape, a cassette tape. That's how long ago it was. Remember those things? And we copied it and gave it to all the leaders. What's keeping you? What's keeping you? And he preached about them having a personal devotion. What's keeping you in God's house? Is it just because the pastor's calling you up and begging you to come to church? Is someone chasing you and asking you all the time to come and you're leaning on their faith? What's keeping you? That's my best Brad, Bradford accent. I think he's sort of middle England. But I, I, and I can hear his voice still preaching that message because sadly some Christians, sadly even some churches have taken this approach that people can just constantly rely on someone else's faith to always prop them up and they're, and they're never growing in their faith. But of course, when we're devoting ourselves, we're building spiritual maturity. Now, of course, we still have a culture of love and care and there are times when we're going to need special support and so we, we help each other up and we reach out to people who are hurting and, and, and you know, out of sync and all that. But there's also a personal responsibility that we should lean into and aim for and build a culture that encourages that so that we can grow as believers and become mature and have a strong faith and personal walk with God. Amen? And so that's what they had. I love that. They devoted themselves. Each one of us has that within us, the ability to say, I will devote myself. I will commit myself. Commit myself. I will... I'll, you know, stir up enough passion that I don't need someone to always drag me along or pick me up. And I can, I can be the one that helps someone. We're all broken. We're all, we're never going to be perfect. But along the way, we can be encouraging others. And the funny thing is, the paradox is that you'll often grow and get stronger when you don't focus on yourself, but reach out to someone else. And you might think, oh, well, I'm not ready and I'm not strong enough and I'm not gift enough and I can't witness and I haven't got this bit together. And I have. But it's amazing how when you reach out and you realise, well, someone else needs some help and you, you, start, you end up growing and, and, uh, and being blessed yourself. So they had personal devotion. To what? To the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles and all who believed were together and had all things in common and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need and day by day attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes they received their food with glad and generous hearts praising God and having favor with all the people and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved wow now, of course, this is a unique time in history. It presented unique circumstances, unique challenges, and it's, so it's very different in many ways to life here on the other side of the world, 2,000 years later, different language, different culture, different political situation, so many differences. So we don't, and, and we shouldn't try to emulate everything that the early church did, but there are some principles that we can learn from some attitudes that we can pick up and follow. And even though the, the playing out of these godly principles for living that these believers exemplify are going to be different in our circumstances. You know, for example, uh, you know, they were selling their possessions 
and, uh, and houses, we read later on, to make sure people's basic needs are met. Now, it's Commitment Sunday, uh, and so uh, I just pregnant pause there to scare you, but, but uh, these days you don't have to, it's all right, it's all right. It, you know, you don't have to sell your house today um, uh, because these days are different. We, we pay taxes. Our government has a welfare system to help people, and so the, uh, that's a different kind of deal. Um, the whole issue of persecution, you read about that a lot more when you read through the book of Acts. Uh, you know, today we might endure some uncomfortable moments if you're standing up, and hopefully you are standing up for your faith, and you can, you know, put up with uh, a bit of flack. But it's unlikely to lead you being stoned to death at work. Literally, what happened to some of these people, or being forced to move to another country. But the ethos, the conviction, the attitude is the same, or should be the same in our hearts. That basically says. I love Jesus 100% with all my heart, all my soul, all my mind, all my strength. I am committed to him. I want to be used by him as he builds his church. These guys had this heart and we can and should also. I'm excited. I'm passionate about the Lord, about what he's doing, about his house, about following him and serving him. And I'm willing to sacrifice some things. I, I can put some creature comforts to one side. I can, I can stretch and make a sacrifice and prioritise him above everything else. I'll give him my whole life. And that'll mean I'll give him some finances along the way. And I'll be a vision builder along with others who hear and heed God's call. And and that call is to live a, a bigger, better life than just living for myself. And that's what these guys did. And so notice a few things, a few characteristics that we can apply that they exemplify. Well, first of all, I've already mentioned it, they, they were devoted. They, they, they had a heartfelt commitment that came from each one of them, but then they gather together, so it's a collective devotion, and there's a lot of power in that. Uh, so it's personal, it's individual, but then it's also corporate and, and community-based. Uh, so as I mentioned, they didn't need other people to be kind of, you know, dragging them along. They, they were willing themselves to serve, to sacrifice, to give to God. And notice the devotion. They, they mentioned four things here. They were devoted to the preaching and teaching within the church, with the leaders that God's appointed. And so we trust God that there's people he puts in our life that he can used to say something that's more than just oratory or a few jokes or, you know, it's a prayerful kind of scary deal to say, God, I want to preach something that is on your behalf. It's, you know, it's not perfect. And, and even prophecy, it says we, we prophesy in part, but there is something about the the unction of the Holy Spirit, the house of God, the preaching of the word, the word that's alive, that comes from God. And so these people respected that and thought, oh, I'm going to really lean into this to what these people are saying. So they had a teachable heart. All right? Notice that they were devoted to fellowship. So they appreciate the special bond that Christians have. We reach out, we love people, we, we don't try to have a little holy huddle and, and, and cut ourselves off from the world, but there is something about someone who's given their life to Christ. It's not just a friendship, they're a brother and a sister. You know? and, and sometimes that can cause problems because like family, brother and sister, oh, him again, and we're scratching. And but iron sharpens iron, it's a good thing and you work it out. And, uh, and so there's this fellowship 
Uh, there's communion. It says they were focused there on uh, devoted to the, the breaking of bread, communion. So they're, they're remembering why they're together, the essence of what Jesus has done for us on the cross and appreciating that. And then they're devoted to prayer because that obviously keeps us in touch with God and his will and keeps our heart alive with God, not just doing our thing. And that's scary when you, you know, in the name of God, some people have just carried off on, you know, programs and plans that they're just man-made. And we don't want to do that, amen? We want to always be prayerful and thinking, God, is this your will? What, you know, what are you saying? What are you doing? And then notice uh, it says there was awe in the church. The Greek word's actually fear. The fear of God is not a bad thing. Uh, it's, a, it's a good thing because God is gracious. He's loving. That's true. That's wonderful. But at the same time, he is awesome in the literal sense and not to be messed with, not to be treated lightly. Yeah. Notice there were miracles. It says uh, they, they performed many, many miraculous signs and wonders. And Ruth was just mentioning Jedediah earlier. Uh, you know, Jesus promised this. He, he said, when I go, you'll do greater miracles. And that, that's the promise of the Holy Spirit, empowering his people to carry on the work of Jesus. Jesus is still alive, just not physically present, but moving through the Holy Spirit, through his people, and healings, miracles can and should uh, and still do occur. And you can read that as you read through the book of Acts. And then there's unity. It says um, they met together. They shared everything they had. Uh, they shared money with those who need, they're in need. Uh, they, they, they shared their meals with great joy, generosity. Um, in fact, the Greek is most literally translated there as saying they had singleness of heart. This is a powerful phrase and concept, isn't it? Having one heart, the world needs that. There's so many different directions and, and divisions that occur when people aren't in, of one heart, one of mind. But that's not just an ideal, you know, that's a reality because of what Jesus does in his church. You can, and we do have all kinds of backgrounds, personalities, uh, racial, cultural, socioeconomic, you name it, differences. And then there's this amazing thing. You get together and you've got one heart. You pray together, you worship together, you, you serve together, you give together. And, and that's pretty cool, isn't it? And when we talk about vision builders, you know, we, Pastor Phil used to say, um, what was that phrase? Not equal giving, but equal sacrifice. So there's, a, there's an equality of what is most important, the same heart. And of course, the dollar figures aren't that important. They're, they're different because people have got different, you know, financial situations, but all leaning the same way towards building the church and serving God. And, you know, um, I mean, it's a, it's a well-known acronym. And it's, you could say it's a little tired or corny, but team, together everyone achieves more, is really a, a great way of, of putting it. Because, uh, you know, if you're watching the World Cup in soccer uh, and, and, you know, so many, all team sports, the key is often not the individual players, it's, it's, the, it's the team, the ability to play together. Um, I can remember watching... Um, the Olympic ice hockey with Max Borisov, who had 
been an ice hockey player, a Russian guy, and I was watching the Olympics, and I was in Russia at the time. I can't remember which games it was, but I was watching the ice hockey. And he was frustrated because um, he knew that, and I didn't know anything about ice hockey, except you can't ever see anything, you know, it's just all the fastest puck flying in the world around the place. And he would explain to me, you know, what's good and what they need to do and all that. He was frustrated because the Russian team wouldn't win as well as they could have and should have. He said, we've got the best players in the world, but they never played as a team together, and they're all contracted off in Canada and America where the money was at the time and uh, and then they'd get together and he'd say oh we never play as a team and we're beaten by players that are a lot worse in fact the Aussie soccer team apparently collectively are worth a hundred million but the team that they got the draw against or no they lost anyway bad bad analogy (laughs) they did they lost against France but they only lost by 2-1 and France their team collectively are worth a billion dollars ten times more I think that was the figures, roughly. So you can have star players, but if you're not playing together as a team. Anyway, like I said, I like that acronym. I like, I like acronyms. BMW. Big money waster. Oh, it's all right. I've got a BMW. I can say it. Um, Kia. Korean industrial accident. Apologies if you've got a Kia. Honda. Hang on. Not done accelerating. <laughs> Well, the irony is you've got a Honda, but that's not what they're talking about. This is a bored-out, crazy, wild Honda motorcycle. Adidas, all day I dream about soccer. My personal favourite is maths, mental abuse to humans. Anyway, back to the Bible. Um, Look, they uh, worshipped daily together. It says they were thankful, they were generous it says they found favour with other people. So their witness for God was, was so good, so strong, that people were coming to know Jesus every day. Now, there's an, a goal to aim for. That's something we can emulate uh, and want to try and do. But having said all that, it wasn't all sweet and rosy for the early church because if you read on in Acts chapter 4, you see Peter and John being dragged before the Jewish council to be interrogated. And, uh, and the, the Jewish leaders were, were very concerned. They didn't want them to preach about Jesus and they tried to intimidate these guys to stop talking about him. But of course they couldn't stop because they had taken a hold of the Great Commission and they were excited and they were willing to pay any price to serve God. And of course the price was paid because if you read on, uh, in fact, you know, just the next chapter, uh, Acts 5, they're dragged before the council again. They're arrested and they're uh, beaten and then released. And then it says in Acts 5, just after they've been released, um, there it is, the apostles left the high council rejoicing that God had counted them worthy to suffer disgrace for the name of Jesus. Have you ever rejoiced because you're suffering? You know, that's that's... That's an attitude that we could lean into. I mean, you know, they didn't rejoice because they hadn't been beaten. They rejoiced because they thought, no, this is awesome. Now we're really living for something. I mean, you know, Peter was a a fisherman. He probably had his big days. Oh, wow, what a great catch of fish. Yeah, you know, but now he's like, I'm really on the edge of something pretty powerful here. This is, I'm living for Jesus. I'm going all the way. And as you know, tradition tells us that he was such an animal when he died and they said, we're going to crucify. He said, fine, do it upside down because I'm not worthy to be crucified the way Jesus was. Bring it on. 
What a guy. And then it says, and every day in the temple and from house to house, they continue to teach and preach this message. Jesus is the Messiah. So they weren't backing off, even though they were being told to back off. They were like, no. (laughs) And one point when you read, it says, who do we fear? We're not worried what you guys think. We've got to worry about what God thinks. We don't stand before you. The end of time, not going to worry about what some chief priest, political player tried to intimidate. It doesn't matter what you say. What am I going to say before the Lord? This is a pretty gutsy attitude. This is pretty powerful stuff. And so they didn't stop and neither did the consequences. Because when you read on in Acts 7, Stephen becomes the first martyr of the church and is stoned to death for his faith. But even then, he's going in glory. His face is shining. They're throwing stones at him until he dies. Now, we had stone fights when I was a kid. The Trask brothers... They were mean and nasty guys and we threw stones at each other, man. They dropped a rock on me. It was the best move. I'm walking under the cliff. We're after him. We're wondering where they were. This guy got a rock and just went, bam. And the next thing I remember, just the whole world was red. I just saw red and it was blood pouring over my face. And my mother was the nurse, so I ran home. And uh, of course, you know, mum will fix it up. And, uh, and she... Didn't freak out because she's nurse-minded, but I did. I'm just like, I'm dying. There's this blood everywhere, you know. Anyway, that's just kids stone fights. He was stoned to death and, uh, and it didn't bother him a bit. He's just like, yes, I see the Lord. You know, how powerful is that? So then a wave of persecution follows. The church is scattered. The Greek word diaspora is used, meaning scattered, but it can also be translated sowed, sowing, like seed. And that's interesting because... What the devil meant for evil, God turns for good. The devil tries to crush the church, but in sending all the people running over away, all he's doing is sending and sowing the seed of the word throughout the known world at the time. And thanks to the Romans for building such great roads, you can see them, they're still there. And of course, the, trans- the communication channels were strong. They all got off on these roads and went to all the parts of the Roman Empire with the gospel. Isn't that awesome? The point is... They survived the suffering because they had a great purpose to follow, a reason to live, a reason to even die for if necessary. As the great, I won't say great, but he was well known, so I guess he's great, but he's a little messed up. German philosopher, Friedrich Nietzsche, uh, he famously said this, he whose life has a why can bear almost any how. When there's a purpose, bring it on. Two weeks ago, I talked about the blessing of bearing the burden for God's house, which is the ultimate example of not just living for yourself, but having a higher cause, a greater purpose for living. You know, making sacrifices today, but in doing so, building a better tomorrow for ourselves and for other people. We should do that, but we can also, and sadly often, take the easy route. And I talked about this, I think, a few weeks ago, where we can... We can Procrastinate, procrastinate about what we should do and focus on what we want to do and just find the easy way out and grab a hold of present comforts and pleasures. But in doing so, our future suffers. Classic example of this in uh, literature, great literature, is Homer Simpson. Um, in fact, Homer's a great example of pretty much 
what not to do in every situation in life, isn't he? And, uh, and so he's got a classic line. At one point, he grabs a jar of mayonnaise, pours vodka into it, downs it and says, that's a problem for, for future Homer. Man, I don't envy that guy. And uh, I think there's something in us that's a little bit, you know, uh, like future Homer, where we just want to disassociate from what we're doing now to what consequences it may have, you know. So there's just this other person we think of. Oh, that's, that's my future self. That's not me, you know. But of course, the joke's on for Homer and us because we become that future person. Um, and, the, and it's all about what, we, what we're focusing on. Can, I, can we look to the future? Can we see something a bit bigger than just the here and now? Jordan Peterson, in this book that he wrote not so long ago, refers to a study what psychologists call sustained inattentional blindness. This is when we focus on something so much that we can miss something else. And this was proven in a study with dramatic, almost unbelievable results. So they got subjects and they they sat them in front of a TV monitor. They showed them a video and the, the video had been filmed and prepared. It had two teams of people. One team wore white shirts and the other team had black shirts and each team had its own ball and they bounced or threw a ball to other members of their team. And the participants were told, we want you to sit down, watch this video and count the number of times that the white-shirted people throw the ball to other members of their team. And so they watched closely and after a few minutes, the subjects were asked to stop and report how many times they had passed the ball. And most answered 15, which was correct. So they felt pretty good about that. It's like, yay, yeah, I've passed the test. But then they were asked, did you see the gorilla? And they think, well, is this a joke? What, 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 what gorilla? What are you talking about? And, they, and so they were told, all right, watch the video again, but this time don't count the ball being passed. Sure enough, after about one minute, of the video, a man dressed in a gorilla suit waltzes right into the middle of the game for several seconds, stops, beats his chest like a gorilla and then walks off stage. And it's right there, right in the middle of the screen. One out of every two people completely missed it. I just think that's hilarious because they were looking for the ball. And they missed everything else, including what seems to be unmissable, the gorilla guy. And Peterson explains that this is often how we deal with life. He says, with all the options and the complexity of the world throwing up, we ignore a lot of what is going on so we can concentrate on our private concerns. He reckons that you focus only on the things that move you toward your desired goal and you end up being blind to everything else. He puts it this way. He says, getting what we currently want can blind us to higher callings. Perhaps what we really need is right in front of our eyes, but we cannot see it because of what we're currently aiming for. Perhaps what you want is blinding you to what else could be. Perhaps you are holding on to your desires in the present so tightly that you cannot see anything else, even what you truly need. I just thought, wow, that is so instructive. What a great allegory or representation of what can go on in life. And this is why we need the Lord. This is why Jesus has 
invited us to build with him rather than just say, there's a church, there's grace, bang, there's everything you need. Just, he involves and includes us in the work of witnessing and the prayers that are needed to bring about the move of God that he wants to have in people's lives and in communities and in building buildings and requiring finances and all that because he knows it's good for us to be part of something bigger and better than just focusing on what we want, just what we feel like our short-term desires lead us to. And so that's why the Bible says, fix your eyes on Jesus, not just on present temporal pleasures or stuff that catches our attention. And that's what the early believers did. And in doing so, they got their eyes on this higher calling, better than just their fishing business or holding on to their you know, own cares and they didn't even worry about their own personal security because they were vision builders. They were building alongside Jesus as he was starting out to fulfil the vision that he had given when he said, I'm going to build my church. And now 2,000 years later, we're doing the same thing, yeah? And, you know, interestingly, the book of Acts, it's got a very strange ending. There is no ending. You read it? It just stops. There's no formal summary or passing greeting or final you know, farewell. It just stops in the middle of talking about Paul's ministry because it's not just about the Acts of the Apostles, it's the Acts of the Holy Spirit and he's still moving and has been and will continue to move on people just like you and me, yeah? And so we are, like these early church people, invited to be vision built. We hope you've enjoyed this week's sermon. For more information or to contact us, visit c3church.narara.net.